right, Daniel. I'm I'm struggling to find figure out what I'm looking at here. You're what you're telling me is you've built a time machine from a PlayStation One. Hey, the way I see it, if you're going to build a time machine into a game console, why not do it with some class? But wait, what? What is this disc? Is this a bootleg copy of Metal Gear Solid? Are you pirating games? Aren't you worried about them? No. Why should I be? Where, where did you get this? The, 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 the Kojimas? Oh, that's no. not good. That's not... Who's that? Run! It's the Kojimas! Oh, uh, okay, let's just, let's just get out of here. Let's just go they, they and... Must have that soft-modded Xbox was not really an Xbox, but an Atari 2600 with some pinball machine parts in it. I thought you said it was a PlayStation 1. Just keep running! You faked a PlayStation 1 from an Atari 2600?! Ah! <laughs> oh, yeah, come in here. Let's go in here. Okay. Okay, close the door. Okay. Welcome to Game Store Profits, where we talk about God... Gaming and groups. I am your host, TR Knight, and with our great modder, the man who loves Ataris, here's Daniel Fisher. Hello, hello, hello! And the man who can't tell the difference between a game console and a board game, Jeff Romo. I'm, I'm a little embarrassed, but fair. Yep, go out there and play your Gloomhaven 2600. Ooh, <laughs> now see, okay, now that's going to end up being something special. I, I like that. Gloomhaven... 20. Okay, anyway. <laughs> so, we are uh, we're back together again, kids. And I need to say this first and foremost. This is a spoilerific episode. If you have not seen Avengers Endgame, press pause now. Okay, wait, press play. And then go out and see Endgame, then press pause. No, I got that in. It's a bad order. It's a bad order. Just stop listening right now. Go watch the movie. Come back and listen to this podcast. And then you'll know exactly why we're on this topic. Yeah, because if you, if you, no, just don't listen. Go to the theater right now. Leave work. Do whatever. I give you permission. Go watch the movie. Use that turn signal. There's a theater right there. Right there. Take the exit. Then what you can do is, after you leave the theater, you can listen to the podcast while you're driving home. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because by the time you're done with the movie, your work is done. Because it's like seven hours long, I think. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's what my bladder told me when I got out of the theater, is that I've been away from the restroom for seven and a half hours. Takes as long as playing Pitfall on the 2600. <laughs> Ooh, nice callback. I like that. I like that. So, today, we are going to talk time travel. Why it's in our games, why it's in our media and why it has a bit of a hold on lore when it comes to breaking rules of physics, breaking rules of the laws of nature. But first... Let's not break rules, then. A word from our sponsor. A word from our sponsor at the... Archive Dive. Dive. <laughs> Which, amazingly, is time travel. But <laughs> <laughs> We're on topic for a change. It's completely on topic. Oh, my. Well... <laughs> I, I'm going to talk about the archive dive this week because something exciting happened for me. Some of you who have followed my blog or my Twitter or things know I've been teaching a class called Writing and Editing for Gaming at Taylor University. And I had a game day for my students. So we played a lot of games. And amazingly, 
a lot of classic games came out. I had a student bring Sequence, and a lot of the students got excited and all sat at a table and played Sequence. That game's been around for a long time. I pulled out um, King of Tokyo because a couple students had asked me to bring it, and so they were playing at another table, King of Tokyo. And at my table, we were playing Batman Flux. And I've mentioned here before, I'm a big Flux fan. I enjoy Flux, and Batman Flux is one of my favorites. It has all kinds of weird quirkiness to it. And I have one of the promo items that actually gives you a coin that you get to play. So anytime you're doing Two-Face, you can flip a coin and you get special abilities. Oh, come on. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. Love Batman Flux is one of the better thematic Fluxes. Um, For those who have never played Flux or have not heard me mention it before, Flux is a simple card game that some people get infuriated with. Tom Vassell usually doesn't like it. He now likes the new, like, chemistry flux and anatomy flux. Other people get frustrated because they can't be strategic when they play it. Because the game is chaos in a box. Yeah. (laughs) The game starts out as a simple rules. Deal three cards to everybody. Draw one, play one. From there, everything else is about rules. You're playing goals. You're playing rules. You're playing actions. You're playing keepers. Batman has creepers. But the idea is the game's rules keep changing the longer you play, and even the end game changes the longer you play. And then when you add the themes on top of it, so like the Batman theme, the creepers are the villains, no one can win if there's a villain out there unless a special card comes up, you have the fun two-face card, so it just, it was fun and it was neat to play it with two students who had never played a Flux game, and they were both like, I must own this game. The chaos of it thrilled these (laughs) dudes. Like, this is insane. I said, yep, it's insanity in a box. Um, And so then otherwise, we ended up playing Star Trek Flux for the TNG version. So they played that. And then a new game that I had not seen, so this is not as much the dive, but just mentioning it, is a game called Dungeon Mayhem. It's a D&D card game, which was fun to watch. It came out, I think, 2018. So it's, I mean, it's about a year old. But it was fun to see the students play a mix of new games and want to play King of Tokyo and Batman Flux and Sequence. It's just interesting to see that idea that the classic games, even your modern classics like King of Tokyo, are still popular among a college-age crowd. Especially when you can you can see them absorbing the rules and deciding, you know, this is, this is like really translating to my fun zone. So that's yep. kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, Having that opportunity though in class in a class scenario in a class situation, I mean, that was oh pretty my cool. gosh, man, that is pretty awesome. You do have one of the one of the better, I want to say, career and and <laughs> and job and just joy. You you've got one of the better ones out there. I'm I'm usually jealous of you. <laughs> I I have been blessed with unique opportunities I never expected. I mean, when I was a gamer early on, on the archive dive, you know, I gamed in the. 70s and 80s as a kid, became a role player in the late 80s and 90s, so I experienced the satanic panic, which we've talked about. But the idea that now, at the same college I attended in the 80s and 90s, 20 plus years later, over 25, showing my age, I now am teaching a class in writing and editing for gaming, which talks about board games and role-playing games. This fall, I'm going to teach a follow-up course called Tabletop Game Lab, where we're actually going to be writing a role-playing manual, or um, module, which will be fun. We're going to do it as a studio class, seven students all working together for a semester to write a module to publish. And in the spring, I get to teach for the third time game studies. 
in the systems area. So the other two classes are professional writing. The game studies will be how do systems work in board games, how do the rule development work, and doing iterative design and systems development using games. I told him he needs to have a class on how to paint miniatures so I can show up and teach this class. But the only thing is, (laughs) these are blessings because that's not my full-time job. I'm a director of academic tech. Before that, I was a director of enterprise infrastructure. So my day job is doing support of faculty and students. I get to adjunct on the side and teach these classes. That's pretty cool. So that's kind of a mixture of archive dive and future things I'm doing. So speaking of future, let's just make that transition. On the horizon. What? On the horizon? This is my favorite segment. (laughs) Why is it your favorite segment, Daniel? Because we get to talk about new things that are coming out and not old things that need to be on a shelf. Wow. Just kidding. Wow. That that was painful. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Well, here's the big thing is Origins is coming soon. Um, UK Games Expo is coming. Um, Gen Con's on the, you know, coming on, on the horizon. So the game announcements are beginning now. Now we're yes. starting to see the, this game is going to be released here. This game's coming. There's pre-orders starting to happen. I think we're going to see our, our on the horizon start to grow a little bit more when it comes to that uh, particular topic and that vein of entertainment. So let me do a, a hybrid. So this is kind of an archive dive meets horizon. There is a okay. new edition of a classic game coming out that my family's excited about. They're re-releasing Love Letter. Oh, That's a cool game. It is a great game. It's a nice little pocket game. Very few cards. They're adding new players to it. So it'll be new art, and now you'll be able to play it up to six players. Wow. Oh, so it's a higher player count then. Yep. Yeah. They're increasing the player count. All new art, which is beautiful, but it's still going to come in the little cloth bag. <laughs> I never liked that bag, though. Like, I have issues with putting cards in bags. I liked it. It was novel. Bags or sleeves? No, bags. It's like a dice bag. Yeah, it's like a dice bag. Oh, I see what you're saying. But what I would say is, if you like a very portable game, very quick to teach, still has plenty of strategy, Love Letter has been around for a long time as its core game, and so they're re-releasing the core. I even have what's called the Wedding Edition. They did that for a while. If you got married and you could send, like you had to send a picture of your wedding um, certificate or something like that or your announcement, you could do whatever. They would let you buy the wedding edition, which is all white. Wow. I had the the Hobbit version. Yeah, they do thematic ones. There are thematic love letters, which I'll be curious to see if they're going to re-release those later after they put out this new edition. That would be nice. So do you like the Hobbit version? Yeah, because it's got like little gems for the Arkenstone instead of the hearts. So you're trying to collect the Arkenstones. Yep. So, um, and, you know, I can actually get my son to play it without it being all sappy love letter. Now, I was actually, the the first time I ever saw that game played was I was standing in line for a Harry Potter movie. And with my family, and there's these teenagers there on the ground playing love letter. And I have not seen it yet. I hadn't even heard about it. And then... I messaged one of my friends, and I took a picture of him, and I said, uh, what are they playing? His response was, oh, that's Love Letter. You want to play it? I'll bring it over. <laughs> to the line? Because I, I could get you an extra ticket. Uh, no, no. It, you know, and, and I ended up buying a copy before I actually played it with him, so it, it was pretty cool. So, and, and I keep it. It's one. Of the, it goes in my travel box. Part of the thing I think it amazes me the most is there are so few cards in that game. Yet there is a full game 
in that tiny number of cards. And it's not and that that number of cards doesn't limit the uh, replayability no. of the game. Yeah, the strat there's enough randomness and strategy combined. It's yeah, it's a fascinating game. So I'll be very curious the new roles they're adding to increase the player count. I'll be curious to see how they yeah. do that. I wonder what that will do to player time. Did they? I, I haven't looked at the page itself. Did they say anything about if it's a little bit longer? Uh, like anything else, adding a couple players will slow it down a little. But it's supposed yeah. to have some much more aggressive options in some of the new characters. I like that. And I blame I blame Perna for getting me into card games ever so often here. So I'm I'll be interested to see how that goes. You should go buy it. I guess I should. It's a really cheap game. It's only like I think I spent like ten bucks on my copy. I don't know if they still have the wedding edition, but it was cool when they had it. We actually bought yeah. extra copies because you could buy it in like a case, and we gave it away at weddings. Wow, that's, that's cool. cool. It was fun. Yeah. So I do highly recommend if if you've never played it, there's a new version coming. It's a great time to jump into it. If you have played it, the art, the new artwork is beautiful, and I'm really looking forward to being able to play six people instead of just. Yeah, that, that I'm gonna probably mm. pick it up when it comes out. Then uh, I pre-ordered the it. Yeah, just so for camping and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it'd be a good game. Yeah, I pre-ordered it the moment I saw it announced. It's that it's one of those inexpensive games that everybody I play with it and teach it to love it. It's just that simple, fun game. Yeah, and you don't really care if it gets damaged either because you just go out and buy another copy. Yep. <laughs> I do recall at the at Gary Con that we uh, we always had one of uh, at least one or two or three copies of Love Letter checked yeah. out yeah. from the table, so it was definitely a, a popular one. So, what else are you guys looking forward to? Well, I'm. I'm looking forward to a movie. Yeah, I, I, I think because and and I think because of Endgame, and then also because of some of the movies coming out, I I've I've been thinking about. It kind of made me think about time travel, but this one, um, it only came up because when it when it was announced, I started going back through the entire catalog of that of the X Men films, uh, because Dark Phoenix is going to be coming out. And it's one of my favorite storylines of the X-Men. It's, it's right up there with the, uh, uh, the Mutant Massacre, the Fall of the Mutants, and then this, the Dark Phoenix Saga. Um, I, I do love Days of Future Past, and I think the movie treatment was fairly decent considering they had to cram it into one film. But uh, I'm really excited to see Dark Phoenix coming out here soon. Yeah. See, I've got trepidations because like you i have the graphic novel i love the storyline yeah. it was very poorly done the first movie that tried to do the phoenix story yeah and so this yeah. one i don't know i like the cast you know when they rebooted the x-men first yep. class but first i have this was a nice new beginning for it i didn't like i like i like days of future past I did not like the follow-up movies and like, I don't know. I'm hesitant because this is a story that I do love a lot. And the trailers for me, I don't know. I'm edgy. Plus, I also know they're just ending the X-Men storyline because Disney has bought up Fox. Right. So they're going to just reboot everything again. So it's making me, I'll watch it later, but I don't know if I'm going to go see it in the theater. So ho- hopefully they won't have a case of senioritis with the film. You mean yeah. like they just kind of one and done it, get it done. Yeah. Do ah, you yeah. want to do another take? Nah, it's all right. <laughs> you know, yeah. and that's how I felt like with Captain Marvel. I felt like they just rushed that movie just to get it out before, before Endgame. See, I love that movie. I mean, it was a good movie, but I still think it was rushed. 
It, so yeah, Dark Phoenix, I know a lot of people are excited. I'm just hesitant. You know, it's one of those just, uh, I got to be careful with that. I got burned when they did the new Fantastic Four. <laughs> oh, jeez. That one I'll be really gun shy about. But, yep. yeah. but when I saw the, like the, the second preview, I think it was, when they actually showed them in space in the, uh, the X-Jet. That was pretty cool. They are really going to do the Phoenix Force. And then the personification of the Phoenix Force, I'll be interested to see how that plays. Yeah, you know, as in comparison with the uh, with the story, but uh, yeah, that's I mean that's not all, the only movie on the horizon we're looking forward to. I know Daniel, you have one that. Uh... Yes, yes. Now this, folks, this is where I mean, if you all have not paid attention so far, this is where I'm going to start talking about Endgame. I'm excited about the Far From Home, uh, Spider-Man: Far From Home. First of all, I, I want to say this: Spider-Man is one of my favorite favorite characters in the marvel universe outside of gambit you love the gambit and i do enjoy me some iron man but yeah i mean like spider-man it looks amazing and it makes me want to see it even more after watching Endgame. oh man <laughs> a huge shout out to the theme music i mean come on i i mentioned it when they did uh homecoming because they did a theatrical version of the old spider-man song yes and then they bring it back here i'm just oh god i love hearing that it's so good yeah, it's 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 very exciting. I'm very excited about it. I've been playing the Spider-Man video game on the PlayStation 4 just when I get a little free time so I can be like, oh, Spider-Man, Spider-Man. Anyway. <laughs> a little anticipation. Yes. <laughs> and that phrase when um, when Happy tells him that he doesn't think, you, I don't think Tony would have done what he did if he didn't think you were going to be here after he was gone. Yeah, that I was like, uh, oh my gosh, it was oh. so good. And I'm pretty sure if I understand right, this movie will officially end Phase 3. Yeah, it's right. the capstone and bridge towards Phase 4. That's what I thought. So yeah. this is the last movie in the series of Phase 3, then Phase 4 happens after this. Yep. Of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That is right. That I haven't been right. keeping up with that. Tell me what you all mean with this jargon. Um, okay. <laughs> jargon. I won't get into a bunch of it, but the way the Marvel is set up, they built these in phases that have built up to the different movies. So Endgame is the big arc that ended what is called the third phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So the first phase was like the origin movies. So your first phase was um, Captain America, First Avenger, Iron Man. Those were all part of the first phase. I believe the second phase started at Avengers, didn't it? Right. Because then we we go into, we launch into the larger world. Yes. And then... The th- I don't remember where third phase started. I actually don't. Third phase, I thought, wasn't wasn't that Guardians? When that we might started have been. getting intergalactic. I just know we're getting ready to start phase four. Okay. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, yeah. and it really just gives you an idea that we just finished an arc. That's really what you need to understand. Yes. You can ignore the term phases. End game was the major arc that Spider Man will kind of be this soft transition between this arc into the next arc. Right Now, what matters right. to me that we're not mentioning here, because it's not a Horizon thing, and we're not a movie cast, so I don't want to get heavy into it, is I still no. want to know now where, where does Spider-Man Into the Multiverse fit? Is it going to be declared canon, or is it just an edge thing based on Far From Home? I personally think it's going to be canon, but we don't know which which universe this Peter Parker falls into. Right. So, because we can always go back and say, Tobey Maguire, still canon. Uh, what's the other kid? Um, 
Andrew Garfield. Andrew Garfield was canon because he's a different universe. So and that's why we get different iterations of the same villains over and over again, which is cool. Now, I do want to discuss real quick something about Endgame. They actually touched on the multiverse at the end of Endgame. So let's so let's 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 kind of like pause there for a moment as we drift away from as we drift away from on the horizon and we go into our topic du jour. Okay. Uh, we're going to talk about time travel, kids. That's that's what we're into. We we wanted to kind of look at it what we think as the the impact on media, especially okay. with games. I mean, there's yeah. a bunch of games that are out there. There's you know Anachrony. There's Back to the Future movie and game. There's Chrononauts, Doctor Who. We'll we'll get into some of those yeah. here in a moment. But when we talk about time travel, there is all of these, this, there's just this massive field of conundrums that causes problems with my brain when it comes to reconciling, okay, how do you, how do you say it's okay you go back and you do this and then that doesn't change anything or it does change something or there's splintering things that happen? As Doctor Who says, it's wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey. Exactly, and and Tr, you've got a much uh, much smarter way of approaching some of the. I I, would, I don't want to say contrarian because it's not necessarily contrarian. It's just saying that you know it, there's better ways to kind of treat the time travel thing. For those of you who don't know, what my background is I have a degree in physics and environmental science, so. Time travel is one of these things. I either like my time travel. You know, you have like, do you like your time travel, you know, in your chocolate, not in your chocolate, you know, with your peanut butter? (laughs) For me, time travel either has to be really scientific and follow things Mm -hmm. or way out there and mocking it. So I love Doctor Who and I like Interstellar. Some of the stuff in between can kind of grate on me because it's just they're not even trying. (laughs) Well, and there's a lot of MacGuffin usage. Yes, yeah. right? there's a lot of MacGuffin usage. But that brings that brings it back to you know to Daniel. I wanted to just kind of bring us in circle back to why we're talking a little bit about the multiverse. So, I want to I want to go back to what you said at the end of Endgame. There's hints at the multiverse. All right. So okay, first of all, we know the fact that at the end of Endgame we have a Captain America sitting there who is old, very right. old. So old. Now, this isn't I set from the 1940s to 2022 old, yeah. uh, or 23. This is like I'm hundreds of years old for Captain America. Because if you look you at so? Bucky, yeah. So Cap was frozen for how many years? What, 60 years? 70. 70 years. All right. So, but when he came out, Bucky wasn't frozen. Bucky had never been really frozen for long since of time. But yet, Bucky didn't age very well. I mean, he aged very well, sorry. And so, like, we know that the super soldiers age slower. So, this ca- and and we know for a fact that at one point, Bucky becomes Captain America. So, in the comics, yeah. yeah in, in the, the comics. comics. Well, actually, Bucky say, was frozen off and on. Well, it was off and on, but he would stall out for periods yeah. of time. But, but what I'm saying is, though, he still didn't age like, you know, a normal person. But what I believe is we've got Captain America from like 300 years in the future where Bucky's already been a Captain America. Uh, There's probably been other Captain Americans and he has brought the shield back for one more Captain America. And so So you're saying he went back to. So what are we thinking here? He had to go back to the 70s to replace the, the the. Well, first he had to go back. Yeah, yeah, no. he had to go back to the seventies to replace the time, the space stone. Yeah, right? he and went then, to multiple right. places. Yes, he replaced all yeah. the stones. That was. But his I mean, job. he ended up. He's going to end up in the seventies, so he can be with Peggy. 
Yes. Is that right? At least that's the Or hint. does he or does he go back to the seventies and then uses the rest of the pen particles to go back to the forties? Or is he using the pen particles to dance around time? Does he have enough to do that? Yeah, that's that's what we we're don't know. They, they don't that's a big left unknown. But it does hint when if you've seen Endgame, Hulk Oh, Professor Hulk talks about how time works. Uh, the Ancient One talks about the idea that you can you'll fork reality if you move the right. time stone. So there is this talk that one concept of time is if you go back in time and change something, it really doesn't change your linear time. It right. forks a different time. Uh, Star Trek, the reboot of the Star Trek series, if you've seen those movies, does the same thing. When they go through the wormhole and Spock goes into the past and the big Romulan ship goes to the past, they cause a fork in the timeline. So it creates a new version of the original series cast that's separate from the other ones. And you have these things called Kelvin and other stuff. The idea is one theory of time, here's your physicist talking, one theory of time travel is the idea of forking. You cannot change your linear time. You go back and it creates a fork of your timeline, which means if you ever got the idea there's infinite possibilities, you can make any decision at any moment. The idea of a multiverse is what if every decision that could ever happen actually did? That's where, like, my theory of time travel, that's where we're at. Like, and, but it's not like every decision. I think it's decisions and catastrophic events. It is. I mean, they, yeah, they're going, you're limiting it. Like, DC Universe and Marvel have limited how many forks there are. They make them pivotal right. moment forks. Uh, another right. theory in um, time travel is a butterfly effect. And that's that idea. If you go back and step on a butterfly, you could destroy entire civilizations in the future. If you go in the back and kill your, if you try to kill somebody who's related to you, you could create a paradox. Was, you know, we talked about this wibbly wobbly, mm-hmm. timey wimey. Time travel scientifically has problems, and so yes. Marvel decided to go down the as scientific as they can as the forking concept. So did Star Trek. Doctor Who just makes fun of it, but then they talk about um, I forget the term for it, but they have times that can't be changed. It's not immovable. Fixed um, points in time. Fixed points in time. Thank you. So there's these there points is. where he can't change them. That's what Doctor Who does. Quantum Leap. I don't know what was going on in that show. Um, Why haven't I leaped yet? Back to the Future plays with that concept of you can change time and everything you do has an impact. So they go pure time travel going forward and backward in the Back right. to the Future movies. And that's interesting because going back has one implication. Forward has another for those out there who really want to get into this and have some fun, actually read H.G. Wells' Time Machine. That's a good book. That's a good book. Because really? it, got, it gets into the idea of when you go forward, you can never go back. Um, so it's interesting. If you want to get into something that's science fiction but has a little bit of science to it, that's actually a very interesting book to read about time travel. But what we're talking about is time travel is a good story. It yes. can be used well. Yes. It can be. It, it can be used as a good vehicle for a story. And it can be used as a good vehicle for a game as well. Um, you, you mentioned Doctor Who as the, the, the whole timey-wimey thing. I, and there's a Doctor Who card game. There's a Doctor, Two, Doctor Who Adventures in Time and Space RPG. Oh, yeah. And there's a Doctor Who War Game. Yes, there is. Okay, that one I did not know. Yes. Really? Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's amazing. Daleks and stuff, yeah. 
So what's the how's the treatment of that? How's the treatment of time in those like game spaces? Well, it's like anything else. It's when you look at time travel, we're we have this idea we want to talk about too is why do you time travel? So let's kind of get into that a little bit because then it'll kind of transition to why games and movies and stories do that. Your reason for time travel often will then determine the rules or science you want to use it for. So Doctor Who uses time travel, like all good classic science fiction, to, as an excuse to hide the story it's actually trying to tell. So if they want to talk about some philosophical thing, some social problem, like remember Doctor Who's been going on for a long time as a series. So it survived through things like the Vietnam War. It survived through the Korean War. It survived through, you know. No, I don't think it was an old Korean War. It did Vietnam War. Um, but the idea is Star Trek did this. Star Trek used to be able to talk about social issues in the context of Star Trek. So Doctor Who can go back in time and they can meet Winston Churchill. <laughs> but then they can use Daleks instead of Germans. He can go into the future, way in the future, and talk about what humanity's doing and how wonderful humanity is now that it's, you know, an, the city of London flying on a giant space whale. The idea is time travel for Dr. Hugh is an excuse to be able to tell a story whenever they want. So we're not going to use any science. We're not going to care. We're just going to bounce all over the place and every now and then come up with a rule like fix time. <laughs> Otherwise, there's no rules. Where Star Trek used it as a concept of we want to start over. So how do we reboot the entire Star Trek and bring in younger actors? Because we don't want to have William Shatner on the show anymore. <laughs> so you go back, you reboot as the idea that time forked. So what happens right. is your reason. So that's why you go back. Well, forward, you watch, you know, <laughs> you talk about, you know, back to the future, going forward and looking at sports stuff and everything or biffing, you know, <laughs> the future. Yeah. You know, oh, I can go up there and figure out how many, you know, teams won and then I can go back to my time and I can become rich. And no, nah, I just want a lot of numbers. But so it's the idea is time travel often as a story element or as in a game or in a role-playing game is designed in a way to help move forward the story. And that's what Endgame did. It used time travel to be able to go, let us all be reminiscent and nostalgic and fall in love with all of our favorite characters again and cry. Right. I cried way too much in that movie. Uh, yes. It's dust yes. in this theater, I'm positive. Both times. Oh, of course. <laughs> Two different theaters. I need to work on cleaning movie theaters. I'm allergic I'm to I'm both theaters, apparently. Yeah, mine too. Mine too. But the idea was, time tra without time travel, how could we have gone back through 11 years of movies? Right. Right, right, right. And I, I, I like the... I, I know that there's the element of MacGuffins. MacGuffins are basically the tricks of the trade in storytelling that says we're going to go ahead and have a solution for this issue. Like the energy output necessary to go faster than light uh, or, or to time travel um, or, or the technology to be able to do this. In the instance of Avengers Endgame, you have PIM particles that are able to generate enough uh, uh, um, oomph to make this happen. Um, how do you get back to the time you need to get to? Well, they happen to have these little, uh, what do they call them? The GPS or time GPS locators yeah. or something. Yep, time GPS. Wrist. Yeah, exactly. That kind of brings you back to your time and your your thread. So you have to have it, especially in the terms of storytelling, to be able to fit it into three and a half hours, two hours, whatever. 
So there has to be those kinds of elements. But yeah, for 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 the most part, when we look into time travel, we're looking at it as a as a story vehicle. Um, we as a, as a as a game thing, I'm trying to think back to and as we were talking about this topic, I was trying to think back to any times in my role playing history where we've dealt with time travel. Uh, you know, whether, you know, use of a spell, that sort of thing. And I can't think of a time in my campaigns that I've ever dealt with it. Oh, I have. I've used a few of the spells, like in old D&D, I've used Time Stop, um, mm. which is an old high-level spell that basically would stop time and everybody else would, you know, couldn't do anything. You could act and no one else could. Because the idea is you would stop time. And other games do it well. Uh, Anachrony is a board game that's interesting, is you're actually playing in two different times simultaneous. You're playing in a future and a past self, and the past is building things that you get to use on your future self. So Anachrony is an interesting board game in that aspect. Now, Chrononauts and Doctor Who card game are really more thematic. They're about aligning time. They're not really about time traveling. It's just time is the theme. Uh, for those Now, if you've played Feng Shui, which I love Feng Shui, um, Feng Shui 2 is the new version of the role-playing game, it's really multiversing is kind of the idea, but you can end up going like back to an ancient um, China or go back to an ancient Japan, or you can go to a future area where there's cyberpunk kind of thing. So you're kind of bouncing into these little temporal sub dimensions is kind of how feng shui does it. It's almost like a Bill and Ted's feel when you, when you think about it. <laughs> yeah. That actually is the best way to time travel is Bill and Ted. The phone booth. <laughs> Which they stole from, from Doctor Who, by the yeah. way. But it is interesting when it's used to tell a story. So, like, here's... I'll give you a classic example. I'm a huge fan of the original Planet of the Apes. The okay. new movies are interesting. I like them, too. But the original Planet of the Apes... Charlton Heston all the way. But the idea the behind it was they weren't in a time machine. They weren't time traveling. This was real science. They had gone way out in deep space at sublight speeds. They had come back... And spoiler, if you've not seen this ancient movie called Planet of the Apes, um, when they come back, it's thousands of years in the future. It's not their past. They think it's their past It's or a different planet. It's the future. It's, it's post-apocalyptic. And the idea is man has fallen backward and apes have elevated, you know, over time. And so, it, but it's an interesting concept of, it was a way for they could tell a story. What is humanity? What is culture? This, so they used this whole movie, this excuse of flipping, instead of having man be the apex, now gorilla and ape and chimpanzee are the apex. And then it's how they treat humanity and how they do science and how they view lesser beings. And it really was saying a lot about us as people. And that's what's fascinating to me is when it's done like that, I like it. Right. It's when, like you said, that it's just purely a MacGuffin and it's just the excuse for how we get away with it. Like, to be honest, now I've watched Bill and Ted and I laugh at it. It is funny. <laughs> but it is one just big MacGuffin. It's just an excuse, yeah. like, especially oh, yeah. the scene where he's like, yeah. oh, remember, make sure we leave the key here. <laughs> and then, yeah, the key appears. Yeah, it's perfect. It's it's all one big MacGuffin. Yeah. And and, the, and that actually enters in another wrinkle of uh, uh, of why time travel uh, with that storytelling aspect the idea yeah. of of commentary social commentary being able to say okay here's here's something that takes you out of the uh, the norm of how you view people 
and puts you into a different framework. You know, a time a, a time uh, engine or or, or or in writing the vehicle of using time is a great way to do that. And and it th- you know it makes me think about that the idea of heading out at sublight speeds, going out in vast distances, and then returning and having there be uh, would that be considered like a time dilation? as far as when they return, or is that more of when you're approaching the speed of light? It is. It's time dilation. It's the same thing for black holes, approaching the speed of light. So Interstellar, if you want to know my, one of my favorite movies of all time, it's Interstellar. Love it. It's now I at my top. Film. Okay, some people get stuck on the whole love is a powerful thing. Let's Forget that. Yeah, Science-wise, it's amazing. So if you're a science geek like I am, if you've recently seen the pictures of a black hole, the first time we've ever actually seen an image of a black hole. And if you've not seen Interstellar, watch Interstellar, go back and look at the picture of the black hole, and you'll almost pass out if you're like me. Because you'll realize when they made Interstellar, they took the math of what people thought a black hole would look like and generated that image in the movie. And you look at the new picture of what a black hole really looks like, and they look almost identical. So Hollywood, working with science, got it right. But the idea is, yeah, it talks about like when they go down on the planet that's near a black hole and then they come back, they've experienced different time between them near the black hole and the person outside the black hole. That's time dilation because of the bending of light and light speed. Same way Planet of the Apes is time dilation. If you want to go sciencey again, physicists here, Yay. there are two twins or two twins. There are twins that are at NASA. <laughs> one twins yeah one brother went up on the space station for a while the other stayed on earth and they're actually studying the difference because even just that far from earth they experience time at different rates really i know there was like i know there was a physiological difference like how their bone structures are their cellular structures but that too yes ever so slightly if you take a watch to the space station you have a watch down here they're coordinated they will be slightly different very slight but still, that's time yeah. difference. Time difference. That's so cool. That's so cool. <laughs> but that's the thing. These are where you get to tell these stories. And this is where, to me, time travel can be fun if it's used for telling a good story. And if you right. can tell a good story and do science, even better. My favorite um, story series that uses time travel, and I believe correctly, is the Ender, Ender series. Like Ender's Game, Speaker of the Dead, Mm -hmm. Ender's Shadow, Mm -hmm. because they use the whole time dilation to the story effect, you know, as far as like um, in the way they had to build like the uh, Ansible system to actually communicate to outer worlds in a timely manner, and how like when Ender finally catches up with his sister who's been traveling, uh, or no, she catches up to him, like, there's, like, a huge age difference just for the fact that, you know, she stayed on a planet while he was traveling space for so long. Right. It's pretty cool. Now, their MacGuffin there is the Ansible. Yes. Because that can ignore time. Yeah. It talks across time and space and ignores distance and time. It's kind of like yeah. a, a telegraph pole. Yeah. Yeah, so that that's the whole concept behind the Ansible. Yeah. But I love I love that. Series. But I, but I think part of this is, is you always have to look at why why time travel why do science fiction writers movie writers game writers why do they want to keep using time travel and why do we want to like you often get people like you know what would you do if you could time travel you know yeah. kill baby Hitler 
Well, you'll right. hear that, you know, go back. You know, yeah, kill that's, Hitler. The, that's the big one, right? That's the big one. So what is that? But, You're you going know, back to change it, things, to make them better. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, a, a couple of a couple of ones, yeah, I, I think are the big ones is is uh, second chances and then righting wrongs. Yes. Right? I think two, two examples that come to mind for that, um, vastly different examples. One is the comic book story uh, Flashpoint. Uh, which is de- dealing with the the super speedster Flash, who the the kind of the the birth of his hero arc, and you know you can see kind of a twist on the tail in the the TV series is that when he's a young kid, his his mother is is killed, and that defines him as a person as he goes forward. It also it defines him as a hero when he becomes the Flash, and w- one, at one point he decides you know there's one wrong. That now that I have this power to to go faster than light and actually time travel, there's one thing I can do. And so he goes back, he thinks about it, and then he wakes up and he comes to find out he's changed the world. He's righted a wrong. And I thought that was an interesting thing because it's an impassioned feeling of of needing to do this. It's It's a very personal thing to try and save a loved one. You know, if they had just left the home a little bit later or if they'd, you know, uh, not eaten that shellfish and had an <laughs> allergic reaction or something, um, you know, go back in time, knock it out of their hand and say no, and then leave. Um, another example I saw I think was really good in the whole Second Chances realm is this movie called About Time. Um, it stars Rachel McAdams and her uh, her love. This is actually a love story, interestingly enough, but it's actually a, it's also a story of family. And I I forgot to look this up. I apologize, but it's the gentleman who played General Hux in the uh, the latest Star Wars films. Um, he's actually the, uh, the the protagonist here, and his family line has this ability to time travel, and they use it for various things like I don't know uh, straightening up bad decisions, finding a different career, visiting their younger selves, or visiting their younger um, children to spend more time with them. And I thought a lot of the times that this was being used, it was used to help family. You know, his you know sister was going down a wrong path or he had missed his opportunity to meet the love of his life. So he went back and fixed that. But it changed so many other things. So for me, I think that one of the big whys is our second chances and, and righting wrongs. Yeah, that's always mine or personal gain. <laughs> personal gain. What, what did you say earlier was the biffing like the yeah. sports almanac? <laughs> yeah. Well, it... And for me, it's the other one you all hear about is the idea of seeing things you couldn't. There's multiple science fiction stories that talk about this. You've got the, if you go Marvel, you've got the uh, Watcher. You've got Doctor Who does this at different times where he goes back and says, we can't do anything. We're just going to watch. And then inevitably everything falls apart and he has to fix it. But the idea is going back in time just to meet Albert Einstein. Going back in time... So kind of like Bill and Ted's kind of theory was that they they never talk about ever having a ripple effect. It's interesting. You know, they pull people out of time to do their history presentation and then put them back in their time. But they don't talk about now that Lincoln knows what a mall is, it changes his world or that Beethoven knows what a, a synthesizer is. So it's interesting that Bill and Ted lets them change things as MacGuffins, but all the stuff they change in history had no impact. <laughs> so it's always kind of a weird thing. But it's that idea of, Going back in time and being able to observe, like, like, good example, what if you never knew your dad or your mom and finally being able to go back and meet them? That's a concept. You'll see that time travel kind of idea. You'll, there's the whole missed opportunity. So you want to go back and see that and come back. So you don't want to change anything. You just want to go back and see. 
there's, and I can't remember the name of the science fiction story off the head right now, but there's a famous one where people go back as tourism. It's time tourism. I'll remember it later. I think it's a Philip K. Dick novel. But you go back and you you watch Pompeii. You go back and they basically kind of like, they go back to watch these significant events throughout history. So they watch the start of World War II. They watch Pompeii. They watch the Hindenburg. Their whole thing is to go back and see these events that defined history. But they're in these like little bubbles that doesn't affect the world around them. And that's an interesting idea. You know, if, if you could time travel just to experience something without impacting it, would you? That would be interesting. Mm. Yeah. I, and and obviously, I mean, we're, we're coming to that point where we would want to we want to make the turn and, and talk a little bit about how this touches our lives as as christians and how does what what is a i know i i i had this time when i was teaching uh i was doing a bible study i was teaching some kids and they were uh, middle school age and i think it was actually around the time that x-men days of future past came out and we were talking about god's perception how he is he's eternal and he stands outside of time Right. He has this perception of being able to see everything at once, you know, which which breaks when you when you actually think about that for a second, it just breaks your mind. That concept. Yeah, it just blows your mind. I use that as an example to new Christians because I teach a new Christians class at church. Uh, so, you know, I, I tell them I teach them how to read their Bible, where to start at and things like that. And so what I, I explain to them that grace they don't understand grace because we don't understand how god sees the world and i, I bring out spaghetti I, I bring out strands of hardened spaghetti and strands of wet spaghetti and this hardened spaghetti i said this is how we experience our world very linear um i said but this is how god experiences our, the universe and i have spaghetti in a mason jar I said, we are on the inside of this mason jar, and God is on the outside, seeing all these timelines happening at once. So when we ask for forgiveness, we're not asking for the forgiveness from what we've done in our past, but everything, because God sees everything. Right. And, and that's how I break grace down for him. I, I, said, I said, you know, when, when we do that, and, and God, you know, because he sees outside that, that forgiveness is forever. So that I, I use I use that and I got that from Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is one of the hard things to look at if you contemplate, you know, when Scripture says, "In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth." That's in Genesis. So yeah. he right. he was here when we created everything. He's also the Alpha and Omega. He'll be here at the end. <laughs> yeah. He already right. knows the end. So it's like he took the book, he read the last chapter, wrote the first chapter. <laughs> yeah. And so and he's what, immutable and unchanging the whole time. So whether whatever your theology is when it comes to predestination and other stuff, for me personally, one of the things I always deal with, I tell people as a physicist, if God is outside time, you can simultaneously have free will and predestination, which will really blow your mind if you try to pull that together. But the reason that works is you are making the decision he just happens to know the exact decision you're going to make. And that's a, wait a minute. I haven't made the wait decision yet, but yeah. he knows wait, it. 
<laughs> well, and that's and that's hard. And we won't get into no. the deep theology of that. But when you take that concept of I'm not part of time, I see all of time simultaneously while we right. live as linear beings. If you want to understand that more, read the whole, you know, Flatland book. That whole concept of if you lived in a two-dimensional world and something three-dimensional showed up is a fascinating story about looking at perspectives. Well, the same idea. If you're a three-dimensional linear time being and now God is outside of our three-dimensional and linear time being and he stands above it, think about how you perceive him and he perceives you. Yeah. That's... (laughs) Mind blowing. I, I had I had I had some of the best conversations with those kids talking about that, yeah. and they and they meant they just the, the idea of standing outside of time and being able to see all of those things at once, but it it feeds back into the idea of of him being eternal and him being immutable and that he's dependable. Um, the idea that I was looking at this this uh, this verse here, Second uh, Peter three eight, that uh, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that the Lord one day in the, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day, and again that that shift in perspective, that eternal perspective, and the concept that eventually we we get to have a little bit more of an understanding of it. You know, when we when we become when we move on to our eternal selves, and I wonder, I wonder if at that point we'll be able to kind of look backwards and see things from a different perspective. Like, oh, I remember living through that part point in time, and then seeing all these things around me that are going on, or you know, like I, I was so stressed out at this time, but then I'm looking around me and seeing like, oh, but this all this was going on at once, mm-hmm. right? We have that 2020 hindsight now, I think, in, in, in small portions. You know, we, we, we go through a, a, a traumatic event or a stressful event, and we can look back a few days or a few years later and say, oh, my gosh, you know, God was moving in that time, and people around me were moving at that time. So it's a... Uh, that's an interesting thing. I, I've I've found a lot of fascination thinking about that, and it's really, in in effect, it's actually opened my mind to not dwell too much on the, I guess the small, what I consider now small debates about theology when it comes to the uh, things the things that would stand in the way of it, like like trying to debate you know, the, the length of time that the galaxy or the the universe has been in existence. You know, that last passage right there, I mean, a, a day could be a thousand years, a thousand years could be a day, a time is nothing to the Lord. So that I don't, I'll find out more about that later, you know, to be continued. I'll find that out. I'll find out more about that after I pass on. I'm not going to let that get in the way of my faith. You know, it just me. it just means to me that God is even more immense than I could possibly imagine. Well, it's like, I like the verse in Hebrews 13, 8, where it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if you read different parts of scripture, it talks about how Jesus was at creation. Mm-hmm. Which is weird to think, because like, no, wait a minute. <laughs> he was born Hold to a Virgin a Mary, but he was at creation, and he's part yeah. of Revelation. And, you know, you start looking at that, and it's, yeah, it's, if you try to think too hard about it sometimes, your head starts hurting. 
Sure. Because you know, you're trying to figure like out you know, right now. where's the free will, <laughs> where's the predestination, where's grace, where's forgiveness. You know, you, all these things are big theological things. And us as geeky, you know, nerdy um, fans, you know, we like our time travel. We like our science fiction. <laughs> so, you know, we look at, you know, Cap going back in time and in game, or did he go into another multiverse? How does that work? We watch Doctor right. Who and just. We, we get fascinated by this idea that time is something that can be changed. And I think the reason that fascinates us so much is because we can't. You know, yes. we, we can look yes. backward. We have hindsight. We can think of things we wish we would have changed. We always have this. You always have this thing. What would you have told your teenage self if you could go back and talk to them now? And right. if it was me, I would probably slap myself and say, you're an old guy. Go away. Um, <laughs> and I wouldn't <laughs> listen anyway. But... The idea is, I think that's why time travel movies and books and games and comics and everything fascinate us, because it's something we can't do. And so mm. we think about, what would I do if I did go into the future and could know what's going to happen tomorrow? What would I do if I could go right. back to yesterday and not eat that hamburger that gave me indigestion? <laughs> it's like <laughs> Even little things, man. Come yeah. on. <laughs> but that's the idea of, I think it fascinates us so much because we can't do it we just can't think yeah. outside of time and i think yeah. that's why it becomes such a fascinating thing and why it frustrates someone like me with a lot of science but yet at the same time fascinates me i've read tons of books on time and time travel and the concept of faster than light and the idea that a klingon vessel can make it around the sun and do that just oh it's oh ah, don't get me started on star <laughs> trek and whipping around suns but the idea is it does fascinate us. As much as it drives me nuts, I still will sit and watch hours and hours of Doctor Who. No right? matter how weird it gets, yeah. I can't I just can't tear myself away from that train wreck of Doctor Who. <laughs> but I think that's it. And hey. philosophers have talked about it, scientists talk about it, artists talk about it. Yeah. Time is just something we just can't get past. It's that it's that thing that's it's it's the one it's the one and only true blue perpetual engine. It's the it's the thing that it never stops and never pauses. It doesn't relent. You know, you can stretch it out, you can shrink it down, but its momentum is is unyielding. It just continues. And sometimes time makes for the best riddles. Just ask uh, our friend Gollum. Yeah. But you know, it I. <laughs> I agree. It's that thing. It's that unattainable thing, right? As the what? What did they use in, in Avatar? Un, unobtainium. It's that. It's that object. You can't get to. Worst movie ever. Another MacGuffin. But um, well, and I think part of it too is we talk about this. You perceive time differently all the time. Yeah. I mean, the idea is yep. when you're a kid, how much is a long time is different than when you're an adult. And that's actually yeah. biological. Yeah. Well, and it's also the same yeah. thing when you're having fun. Time is different than when you're not having fun. When you're doing well in life, time is different than when you're not doing well in life. We, we literally perceive time. Even though time's not changing, we perceive it. And that idea that we're trying to perceive beyond even what we already can, I, yeah. And it affects our theology. It affects our philosophy. It affects our entertainment. Time, you know, that's why we watch these movies and we like them or we get frustrated. We read the books, whatever. But we keep getting drawn back to these stories about time and adjusting time and changing time. I think because we just, it fascinates us because we don't get it. And God does. And that's what's scary because he does get it. 
Yeah, I imagine the level of intellect that's needed to get that. Just the immensity. <sighs> well, speaking of time, it's about that time. I can sing a Bengals song, time, 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 so it's become of me. Or Daniel, <laughs> you could walk us the heck out of here. <laughs> Oh my gosh, you're putting this pressure on me because I'm going to go back in time and get it wrong. But we need to remember that uh, God is the game master. No matter how the dice falls, the game plays on.